0: Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. mindfulness bell. We practice radical stopping. It's as if we've turned off the mind and we've turned off the world outside of us and we enter into that sacred space within. Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven within. He said seek it first and everything is accomplished. And so we take refuge in that stillness, in that spacious field of divine love, in that peace that passes all understanding. And we say to our soul, I have arrived, I am home. I'm already always home in the kingdom of heaven, in the consciousness of oneness. And in that consciousness of oneness, There is no other. All is self. And so by stepping into the kingdom of heaven, we move out of the me and out of the we and into the all. There is one life. That life is God's life. That life is perfect in every way. And that life is flowing through all creation, including each one of us. And so we align ourselves to that essential truth of our being. You're Thomas Paine that says, such is the nature of life that all it asks and all it wants is the opportunity to appear and you are that opportunity and so am I. So the one life is smiling from within. I hear Jesus in the gospel of Thomas who says, if you liberate that which is within you, that which is within you will save you. If you do not liberate that which is within you, well, that which is within you will destroy you. Let those who have ears to hear, hear. So with the radical sayings of the master teacher, we recognize that there is something inherent within all of us. Let's call it our authentic soul. And this Sunday, we are going to explore the gifts of this authenticity as it emerges through each one of us uniquely. As a young student of dance in the 70s, I studied Martha Graham's techniques. And Martha Graham said that each one of us has inherent within us a dance that is unique to our soul. And if you do not find the dance of your soul, well, then you will be doing somebody else's dance. And so at a very young age, I began this quest to discover the soul's dance within this experience called life. And so this Sunday, I invite you to open to that aspect of your being that is deathless and eternal, the Atman. In Hinduism, they say the Brahman and the Atman are one. This divine presence is at one with the over-soul through all creation and we are both. And so we humbly enter into that spacious field this Sunday morning to revisit a familiar, intimate place of belonging. We smile because when this something within us that is so sacred is activated, And as Jesus admonished when two or more are gathered in my name, in my nature of the universal Christ, well, then I am there. And so we open to the universal Christ this Sunday morning as it authentically expresses uniquely through each one of us in our dance, trusting and allowing it to unfold in the sacred moment of now. We witness it. So with playfulness, I invite you to open your eyes and to look around you at your your own self. Nikki, when you're out there, will you bring me a little cup of water by the fountain? When you get yourself one? I forgot. Yeah, so this is the last Sunday of January. And at the end of the service, I'm just gonna give you a heads up, my beloved husband, he's gonna show up here for a minute, maybe two minute, end of the meeting financial report. He does it once a year. You'll get to see him for those of you who've never seen him. He'll walk down here, you can stay if you choose to stay. And he will, I promise you within five minutes be gone. But this is what we give thanks for, that he is such a dutiful, loving husband. And I'm so grateful for him in my life. And being that it's the last Sunday of the month, I'm finishing up a series and I love to do a series uh, because it kind of hones my mind into a, a bigger context in which something can flower. And the theme that I chose for this new month of the new year was a new design for living, which happens to be the latest book that Ernest Holmes wrote before he transitioned. And I found a copy of that old threadbare book in the library last week, how perfectly I opened it to the page that he says, we are immortal, eternal beings. And you get to know that while you're in form. So when the day of your transition takes place, you'll say, hey, but I'm an eternal, immortal being. And that's the truth of what I am. And so how appropriate that that would just show up in my face when our beloved uh, Marie Perez made her transition on Wednesday with her daughter by her side. And I saw how authentically she transitioned out of a body that no longer served her. You know, in Conversations uh, *Conversations with God, book two by Neil Donald Walsh. It happened that another Marie made her transition when I was here at the center in 1990. And i woke up in the middle of the night and her spirit was with me and i got out of bed like i'm known to do and i go to the bookcase and i just pull an oracle book out and i just pulled out conversations with god book two neil donald walsh and i opened it like i'm prone to do some people do it with the bible and i put my finger down and so interesting the passageway was neil donald walsh speaking to god as he does he says does the soul die to which god says to neil donald walsh no the soul does not die because the soul was never born but he said, in an instant, thank you, my love, when the soul is no longer being served by that body, the soul can choose to leave. And I think my beloved twin and beloved Marie were done with struggling with their bodies. Marie had cancer of the sinuses. I mean, she was in hospice. She had had a long, long haul. And um, it was so grace-filled, her demise. And, and I feel her. I, I feel like I'm haunted by both Marie and my twin sister. So I called a ministerial colleague this week and And she informed me that another colleague of mine from Canada, her name was Connie Phillips, she moved to Kenya to start a Centers for Spiritual Living, fell in love with a beautiful man from Kenya, did her ministry there, but then she got cancer and she felt that the medical care would be better in Canada. So she and her husband went back to Vancouver, Canada, where she was dealing with cancer for quite a while until it came to the realization that it had metastasized And she needed to make preparations for her transition and so in a very conscious authentic way what connie did was she invited the tribal community from kenya to come over to canada and they have a thing in canada called maid which is medical assistance in death and when the life force is so compromised they have medically assisted euthanasia in canada so she had gone through the paperwork she had made peace with her family her children were here her beloved husband was here and a community of her Nigerian or whatever Kenya I can't remember women came over dressed in their native attire and they put Connie in wrapped her in the native attire and they did a ceremony to call in all the ancestors and on youtube she did a conscious video of her surrendering and letting go and stepping into this next dimension as she drank the cocktail that set her soul free from the body that no longer served her when i heard about that this week i thought what an authentic way to die you know what to have a beautiful ceremony to call in the ancestors to assist as you shift out of form. I told this to Carol Zikowski at breakfast the other morning, and she said, oh my God, and now I know what I want to happen when I choose to step out. So what if life shows you these beautiful little moments of conscious living, conscious dying, and we're really dying every day to an old idea so that a new idea can be born. And we live in very troubling times. You know, this month I began this exploration of a new design for living, from a beautiful book by Jack Kornfield saying there's no time like the present. And these were his first five chapters. The first chapter was um, vastness is your um, home. That really are what we are, are cosmic beings. I'm teaching Emerson now and Emerson says, he teaches the holographic universe in 1830. He said, we are one life, that life became this life on the planet, and he said, we're not separate. He said, there's not a hierarchy of a power higher and then a power lower, and that the human species is the superior of the one. Emerson, in his sense of humor, said, if we were the superior species, he says, go look at the royalty and how screwed up that is. He said, the glory experiment failed to make the humans the number one. So then we realized that this is a holographic universe. Everything is sacred in that universe. On Wednesday nights, they have this wonderful show called Nature on PBS and it's David Attenborough. And this week, David Attenborough did a beautiful show called The Dances of Nature. And being the inherent dancer that I am, I'm watching his take on nature all around us that is so intelligent that these different species, they went to the rainforests of New Guinea and looked at the rare bird of paradise and how, the male species will have all these different colors that form so that he can then lure the female. And the females are very picky. They have to have just the right color and just the right dance. And so you watch these very oh, smiling. And so this little bird of paradise is performing. And then the little birds, they, they all perform to see who is she going to pick out of the di- different little birds. And then Richard Atler, David Attenborough shows that up in the cold areas where, have lots of snow that certain grouse can change their color from brown to white so that they don't get eaten by other animals but they too have their courting dance that the male does with the female and in this intelligent universe it has a way where everything complements everything else and he has the wisdom of a scientist to see how this is connected to this and this is connected to that and how the certain tree provides the food for the certain this we live in an intelligent universe Could we suspend our judgment that it's about me and move to the we and from the we move to the all? That's the invitation that he's inviting us to take. So vastness is our home. The second week I explored the idea of courting the beautiful question. You know, our mind is 10 times more active in the question than it is in the answer. If you give somebody the answer for something, it's the dead zone. But if you invite them to court the question, the question I would give Nikki and Sean is, how can you make this marriage the most beautiful unfoldment, celebrating the souls of one another? Not give me an answer, but to stay in the question. And every day you wake up and say, how can I honor this soul? And how can I honor that soul? And how can we flower together, potentiating one another to do this dance of life in the mystery of belonging to the universe, that it's not about us, it's about the universe coming together in this ever unfolding revelation of divine love. Well, that's a hell of a question, isn't it? I remember I spoke to my prayer partner the Sunday that I was giving the talk on courting the beautiful questions and he shared with me when he was taking one of those transformational workshops, the whole workshop hinged on you leaving the workshop with the question that you can live with for the rest of your life. I said, oh, and he said, and what question did you leave with? He said, I left with the question at the end of that week-long workshop and he said, and it's still haunting me. And the question was, how can I allow my life to manifest the gifts of my soul as I evolve on this planet? And he said, I'm still asking that question. How can I allow this imprisoned splendor to express itself? Now, remember the soul wants to express where the ego wants to impress the world. Now, if you're caught up in impressing the world, that's your ego functioning. But if you're here to merely express this something that is inherent within you that wants to flower as you, Well, I think that's a pretty sweet thing, isn't it, Miss Anastasia? Then you want that for your children too. You want that for your friends. And then you say, be who you are. Don't be a a copy of somebody else's version of you. So court the beautiful questions and we live in the question. And then we're always on fire with a revelation, with a new beginning. every day then is a new beginning. How am I gonna meet this day in a new marriage, with a new life, uh, with a new design for living? not the old design for living. It's so funny, um, Trey is trying to move some finances from the savings account to where we can make more interest. And so he said to me this morning, go into the center and see if you can find the incorporation papers. How many times have I shown them, Jan? But I found them in your desk, right there, incorporation papers, put it on the top of the desk, so here's the incorporation papers. But I also found all these files of 34 years of ministry and one was titled, The New Design for Living. In 1990 so now it's 2023 and I pull out the folder that said a new design for living and the David Leonard that was here in 1990 isn't the David Leonard that's here in 2023. Because at that particular time, it was all about changing your thinking changing your life, not being a victim and using the power of mind to get what you want. And then you hear Ernest Holmes, there's a power for good greater than you are and you can use it. And so here was a way to use affirmations, use uh, mental treatment, use this to create a mental equivalent and then you step in it and you manifest it. And that's great to live the life that you think you want until you reach the age of 74 and you realize there's a power for good greater than I am and I can let it infuse me with its knowing, with its wisdom, with its creativity, with its spontaneity with its uncertainty and in that uncertainty, know that I'm not here to find the answers because I'm not in control. I'm here to surrender to something greater. There's a power greater than you are. Could I let it infuse me with its realization that I'm not separate from even the smallest of beings? Well, then there's no more me. It's not David trying to manifest a better version of David. It's the universal soul waking up in this incarnation to remind all of us that we're all eternal beings We're all immortal beings and we are come here to express our divinity. And there are no accidents that I'm being haunted by Emerson because he lives in me. I can't seem to get away from him and he won't let me get away from him. We're we're spiritually yoked, if you will. So in this beautiful little book of Emerson's, he anchors me. He says, let thy soul be open and thine eyes will reveal to thee beauty is everywhere. When you see with the eyes of oneness, as Seamus said this morning, you'll see beauty everywhere. And then he goes on to say this. So go forth with thy message among thy fellow creatures and teach them. He's talking about from the soul now. And teach them that they must trust themselves as guided by the inner light, which dwells with the pure in heart to whom it was promised of old that they shall see God blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You hear the Beatitudes in a whole different way. So he's saying, so teach them that each generation begins the world afresh. Now he's in 1830 saying this, they had slavery. Women didn't have any rights. We were usurping our planet like nobody's business, tearing down uh, indigenous rainforests, taking the indigenous people, putting them on reservations. And he was talking about a principle of human rights over the rights of property saying that in the in the South slaves were property rights. And he said, no, no, principle should not be bound by precedent. He was the original new thought rebel, you know? And he says, you all seek to be uh, comf- comfortable. And he said, but only to the degree that you're uncomfortable, is there any hope for you? So he was a bit of a, should I say shit stir in his time? And I really appreciate that. So he says, teach them that each generation begins the world afresh and in perfect freedom that the present is not the prisoner of the past. We still have some work to do on planet Earth. There's still a lot of repression. And if you're a young gay man on this planet, many countries have killed the gay law. We got to do something, get rid of that religious belief that somehow or in some countries, if a woman takes her babushka off her hair and lets a man see her hair, she could be persecuted. Principles should not be bound by precedent just because we've done it. So he's saying, um, teach them that each generation begins the world afresh in perfect freedom, that the present is not a prisoner of the past, but that today holds captive all yesterdays to compare, to judge, to accept, or to reject their teachings as these are shown by its own morning sun. So we're waking up to the ignorance of yesterday and it's asking us to be advocates of a greater order of being in your own authentic way, Mark. So he goes on to say, to thy fellow countrymen, thou shalt preach the gospel of a new world. Not that old time religion, Miss Paula. A new world that here, here in our America in 1830, it's the home of man that here is the promise of a new and more excellent social state that history has ever recorded. A new democracy, he's touting. Thy life shall be as thy teachings then brave pure, truthful, beneficent, hopeful, cheerful, hospitable to all honest belief, all sincere thinkers and active according to the gifts of your soul and the opportunities that arise. So he said, hitch your wagon to a star. Oh, I think that's a metaphor. Hitch your consciousness to an illumined idea that says we're here to teach the truth In the midst of the ignorance on the planet Earth, that's what the soul does. The soul doesn't conform. And then you hear him say later, conformity and consistency are the hobgoblin of little minds and the divine of statesmen. He's asking us to be an original thinker. question, And it all came from Copernicus when Copernicus said the earth is not the center of the universe, as it says in the Bible. And it wasn't from original sin that we had to go through this process of death so that Jesus could come along to resurrect us through his death. He said it was all premised on a crazy idea. And so he stood up to the God of tradition and the God of the intellect, and he let his soul be set on fire with the same fire that was ignited in Jesus or that was ignited in any of the great avatars that you may be speaking about. So he's one hell of an example of living the authentic life. So court the beautiful question. And then the third week I talked about trust in a living universe. The universe is alive. Could we trust it? That it will bring to us everything we need before we ask. Ram Das said, everything and everyone you encounter on this life is here for your transformation. So use it. Even seeing your sister in a restaurant after years of being um, not, seeing one another that was a sacred moment a moment of destiny and you meet it with so much um, gratitude you know I hadn't seen my beloved Carol in a long time and we had breakfast it was as if we just picked up the pieces where we had uh, drifted apart and who to know why people drift apart we come together we go apart but I do know if love is real love never goes anywhere and so could we know that sometimes the ones we love, we're not, we're not compatible with them. And so we give them space to grow and they need to grow over there. But others, we find that there is a soul resonance with, and that divine love, as I love to say, brings together and maintains together those who belong together. So as my first relationship was not brought together by divine love, it was desperation and a libido in my early 20s, or maybe 19. But when it came to Trey, when he and I got together at 25, I realized it was divine love because only something as strong as divine love could have brought the two people that hated one another together for 50 years. Divine love had to be in charge of that whole crazy scenario. So I've learned to trust in that living universe. The living universe brought me here to Alabama, said so a place that I would never go. I said the one profession I would never do is ministry. I called it the opiate of the people. I've been a minister for 34 years. So obviously, I don't have a clue, and divine love does. So I'm trusting in that universe to continue that guidance. Last week, I spoke about the eternal present moment, that all we have is this present moment. So when we project into the future, we're not living here now. And to really experience that richness of of what is arising right now. And sometimes it's our fear, it's our anger, it's our anxiety. So could we invite all those unhealed parts of us into present moment awareness so that they can be held by divine love? My prayer partner is sending me a book from Canada. He said about a native uh, indigenous people up there who'd been taken away from his tribe as a young age, been schooled in those Canadian schools where they found all the graves and how he went through all kinds of addictive problems, depression, until he could restore himself to his soul it was a soul retrieval and in in the process of going through that this beautiful story he had to experience a love that was bigger remember there's a love bigger than you are and he said I felt that I was held in this field of love and that field of love transformed me so what if love does all the work and we're here to connect with that divine love So this Sunday, I'm exploring the last question, which is to live the authentic life. In Gary Zukav's The Seat of the Soul, it's all premised on moving out of the five sensory way of seeing things into the authentic way of seeing things, which is the soul. And at the introduction of his book, Oprah Winfrey talks about how this book changed her life. When she realized it was all about her as Oprah Winfrey until she read this book, and she said it was about finding my authentic self. And then everything changed. So before I jump into the authentic self, I want to give you a little Sufi uh, wisdom. Uh, Gigi and I traveled with Kabir Helminski to Turkey years ago, and he is the sheikh of the Mevlevi Order of North America. And his latest book is called In the House of Remembering. And he talks about this something bigger than we are as the beloved. And, you know, in the Sufi tradition, they say all is the lover and the beloved. And the mistake is to think that the lover is separate separate from the beloved. There's a teaching story of lover and beloved that the lover goes to the beloved's door and knocks on the door and says, oh, beloved, beloved, let me in. And the beloved said, who's there? It's me, David. It's me, David, the lover. And he says, oh, go away. You're not ready. And then after years of surrendering and trusting and having a few transformational workshops, he goes back to the door of the beloved and knocks on the beloved, beloved. Who's there? It's you, beloved. All there is, is you. There's never been anything but you. He says, come on in. You're ready to join me now. So what if this is about remembering that we are that, that we are the universal Christ, that we are the beloved, waking up in our humble human form. To know yourselves is that you have to be so humble. And so this is how Kabir so beautifully expresses that. You know, it's the Buddha himself that says, um, you don't learn from experience. Catch the subtleties of the hint. The Buddha said this. You don't learn from experience. He said you learn from your capacity to experience. So what is your capacity to love, to experience divine love? What is your capacity to forgive? 70 times 7, as Jesus would say. What is your capacity to let things be as they are instead of trying to change and manipulate them? What is your capacity to accept people where they are? So he goes on to say this. We're intending to awaken a capacity to see and to be present. This is all we're doing. Ultimately, that capacity is going to lead to something quite extraordinary. This is the promise, something quite extraordinary. Aside from ourselves, aside from who we think we are, ultimately, it's going to lead to a relationship with what we would call divine guidance with a capital D and a capital G, Miss Susan. It leads to divine guidance. Even walking over in a restaurant, divine guidance. Sitting in a waiting room for a young man with a stress test, divine guidance. These are the gifts. It leads to wisdom, Miss Paula. And it leads to the source of cosmic love itself. Well, I think that's pretty worth remembering, don't you? The source of cosmic love, divine guidance, and wisdom. That's the promise of opening to that spacious place that is your true nature as the beloved. Does that feel good, Mark? That's where Papa is. He's home in that beautiful, spacious place. I have no doubt. Um, So he goes on to say, when we live in the reality and are aware of that presence, then we are in remembrance. Remember, all is a forgetting and a remembering. And we have a chant when we can, we'll play it. I am remembering who I am. I am remembering who I am. I am remembering. It's all about remembering. And he says, it changes everything. We can realize that we are not just the content of our experience, we're also the beautiful context in which everything arises. That's like the cloud in the sky saying, oh my God, I'm not the cloud, I'm the sky. Or it's the wave of the ocean saying, oh, I'm not that individual wave who thinks she's so sassy on the shore of life. I'm the whole ocean moving through the wave. It's that realization that the universal Christ is in all of us. We're also this beautiful context, which is divine and purposeful, and it's guiding us stage by stage to a deeper and deeper truth. Could we open to that inner guidance? And then notice who's in the river with you and who helps you along the way. You know, certain people in the center, when I see them, I become six years old and I become vulnerable and I don't have a choice. So if he should fall into your arms, you just love him because he's connecting at the heart level and he's still, he says, all the heart wants is an expanding friendship with seeming other, but there really is no other. It's all you. And so he said, It is this friendship of other conscious hearts who are in the state of remembrance and in that state of coherence and resonance that will lift us up and heal us. That's what the satsang purposes is to meet or the revealing service to meet in that field of divine love and let the energy of divine love heal us. It's not us that does the work. It's the energy of love that does the work. Heart to heart. Heart to heart. When I saw the triplets at the wedding, I just fell into their arms because I knew they they knew my heart. Transformation in friendship, accepting the truth that everything is purposeful, and we're all friends of the friend. Now we're all friends with a little F of the friend with the big F. And they call the beloved the friend. So we come here on Sundays to experience the friend, the friend within, the friend without, knowing that they're not separate. Now that's the Sufi way of talking about coherence, talking about the authentic self that we meet in that field where there's no Mark and David. It's just the beloved. And the more you can do that, um, the greater the love is. You don't see other. You know, you see the homeless person sitting by their backpack and it's your own brother and sister, you know, it's... uh, Trey was out at the pond the other day and a snake had gotten entangled in the mesh over the pond and he spent all Sunday morning cutting the snake out so that the snake could be set free from his bondage. What if it's those little things in life that are really so sweet that show that we're connected to each other? When I had uh, breakfast with Carol the other day, she was sharing how she and Michael capture the uh, different critters that are wild in the garden and they take them up to the mountains and set them free, whether it's the, the possum and the oh the ones with the tape oh okay uh, anyway and I said to her I said you know Trey bought me a bird feeder for Christmas and we put it up in the dining room window because he wanted the birds close so he could see all the different kinds and the first ones that came to the bird feeder were three little baby rats and all of a sudden I saw how unevolved he was in the field of consciousness out of his mouth came where there are little rats there are big rats And then as if he had called it forth from the universe, all of a sudden they were in the pantry eating the, I know, she shook his head. And so the people were called up to put the the traps in the thing. And I was called to take the little bodies and lovingly put them in places where they could be released to their greater glory. And I saw how relative oneness can be sometimes in this world of, so I'm gonna jump to the very end. Well, not really quite to the end to explain to you uh, what it feels like to be living in a place of remembrance where the beloved is what you are. And in Gary Zukov's Seat of the Soul, it's huge book, he describes what it's like when you're living from the authentic soul. And he likens it to we become beings of light. That's what we are. In Sufism, they say nur ala nur, light upon light. Jesus says, don't put your light under a bushel, but let it shine. So, what if we could know ourselves as energy? energy that was never born, energy that never dies, we're the energy of divine light and love. And so here's playfulness on that. Ooh, I think I got the wrong, okay, it says light. What we are, are a system of light with a big L. The frequency of your light depends upon your consciousness. So when you shift your consciousness, you shift your frequency of your light. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Are you gonna let your light shine or are you gonna put it under a bushel? Uh, It was the Buddha that said, be a light unto the world. Be a light unto yourself. They're all pointing to this luminous something that is inherent within us. And that's where the authentic soul comes in. So he goes on to say, changing your thoughts, changing the quality will change the quality of your light. We are evolving into a higher range of frequency of light which means that we are becoming multi-sensory. We are becoming aware of the light of our souls and able to communicate with forms of life that were invisible to us, such as the non-physical teachers. Well, this is kind of what's happening to me. All those non-physical teachers are on steroids in my consciousness. I've got Rumi, I've got Emerson, I've got Kennedy Schultz. They're all there. And he says, yeah, because tick not on. Non-physical teachers assist your soul in every phase of its evolution, but they cannot make your decisions for you or change your karma. All we get to do is to open to them. When I started studying with Llewellyn Von Lee, my Sufi teacher, he was a student of Irena Tweedy's and she was a student of Baisab. She'd gone all the way over to India to study with Baisab. Baisab asked her to give up everything to Give her All her money, her retirement, everything. If you want the divine, you have to give up everything. So she gave him every penny she had. And she got enlightenment, if you will. So when Llewellyn met Mrs. Tweedy, he said, the strange thing happened. He said, Baisab became my teacher. Because Baisab had already transitioned, but he was still here. So he's saying, when you become a light being, a student of light, other dimensions can come through. Now, at the time, when I was a young student, I didn't understand him. But now I really get it. The invisible is still here with the visible and with the invisible, and we can access them. So could we tune our consciousness into these higher frequencies of the soul and let our soul be set on fire with the passion of Emerson? I mean, that's what he's giving me. Emerson, is his passion is coming through me. Let your soul be set on fire, he says, like the soul that set those on fire. So I went to the poet. Emerson says the highest profession is the profession of poet. He didn't say minister. Remember, he dropped the ministry after a year. No, he said the highest profession is the poet. Why the poet? Because the poet speaks from the soul. So I went to the poets and my favorite poet is David White. And David White, W-H-Y-T-E, this beautiful Irish Englishman that lives on the West Coast with his true love, wrote a beautiful poem about her. He talks about when the soul gets set on fire and how it moves us into a new direction. So I thought I would close with the poetry call of the soul to be authentic. It comes in different ways. Sometimes it comes from the fire of transformation. Sometimes it comes from the darkness of a death of a loved one. Sometimes it comes from a deep abiding peace when you're either in deep meditation or you're extremely alone and withdrawn from the world. And from that aloneness comes the all oneness to reveal itself. It comes in many different ways, this soul. Tia knows about it. So here's what he says. Sometimes simplicity arises like a blossom of fire from the white silk of your own skin. You were there in the beginning. You heard the story. You heard the merciless and tender words telling you where you had to go. Exile is never easy. And the journey itself leaves a bitter taste. But then when you heard that voice, the voice of the beloved, you had to go. You couldn't sit by the fire. You couldn't live so close to the live flame of that compassion. You had to go out in the world and make it your own fire. You're going on that bike ride, Miss Anastasia. You had to make it your own so that you could come back with that flame in your voice saying, listen, This warmth, this unbearable light, this fearful love, it is all here, it is all here, and I am ready to step into it, to be on fire with the same truth. It calls you when it calls you. So here's the soul calling with a flame. Now he writes about the soul calling him in the darkness. Anybody been in the darkness? Here's the soul calling you in the darkness. When your eyes are tired, and the world is tired also. When your vision has gone and no part of the world can find you, it's time to go into the dark, where the night has eyes and to recognize its own. And there you can be sure that you're not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. That's W-O-M-B. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon, further than you can see. You must learn one thing, the world was made to be free in. You must learn one thing, the world was made to be free in. Not bound, not shackled, not controlled, not manipulated, not conformed, to be free in. So give up all the other worlds, except the one to which you belong. Well, I think that's a worthy question. What world do you belong to, Miss Nikki? To the world that you belong, give all the others up. And he says, sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn. And here's the big lesson. Anything and anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. And the one thing that we need to learn is that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Well, I think there's a question that we could court, Michael. What brings you alive? No, you all bring me alive. Every time I see you, I hug you. You all help bring me alive. There's not one of you that puts the shovel of dirt on my coffin. You all ignite that playful spirit of, well, I'm just saying. If it doesn't bring you alive, it's too small for you. And then here's the last uh, little soul catalyst that he says, and it can be a simple word. And you know, in the Sufism, it all boils down to one word and the word is kun. If you want to remember a word, the word is kun, K-U-N. And the word kun means be, to be or not to be, that is the question, kun, be. Emerson says be and not seem. Be who you are. Don't pretend to be what you aren't. Be and not seem. He says, let us acquiesce, surrender, get our bloated nothingness out of the way and in that holy instant, connect with the divine circuits. So he's talking about the one word that can change your life. And he says this, it is not enough to know. Most of us don't know anything. And it's wisdom to know that you don't know. It is not enough to know and it's not enough to follow that inward road that's conversing in secret. This is a poet. It is not enough to see straight ahead and to gaze at the unborn, thinking the silence belongs to you. Nothing really belongs to us. It is not enough to hear even the tiniest edge of rain. You must go to the place where everything waits. You must go to the place where everything waits. There, when you finally rest, even one word will do. Kun b one word, or the palm of your hand turning outward in the gesture of a gift. You know, in when you do meditation, you've studied the Yoga Mudras. These are the hand gestures of the yoga of the Buddha, and one of the great gestures is he sitting with his hands open. This is a gesture of receptivity. So feel the gift of just putting your hand out to receive the grace of another hand. Yeah. You must go to that place where everything waits. And there, when you finally rest, even one word will do, kun bi, one word or the palm of your hand turning outward in a gesture of gift. And now you are truly afraid to find the great silence asking so little of you. Only one word, only one word is necessary. And then you're home, then you've arrived. Now, what would that word be in your life? Jan, would you like to ring the bell and, We'll do a closing meditation and then we'll do a beautiful song at the end. And Mr. Trey, I'm knowing will come in at 1115 on time and he will give us our beautiful financial report. So thank you, Jen, for ringing the bell. And again, we stop. Uh, And we touch that fire within our soul, the fire of belonging to the universe. We open to the darkness within to find the light inherent within the darkness. We hear the word of our soul admonishing us to be, be who you are, the expression of the one life, unveiling herself endlessly anew in the sacred moment that knows no other. And then we hear Rumi out beyond the ideas of right thinking and wrong thinking, there is a field And when the soul lies down in this field, this field of divine love, words are not necessary. Even the idea each other does not exist. And then he says, I will meet you there. And so we come here at the center to meet in that field of divine love, the context in which all life arises. And so we take the cosmic eraser to the content of today's narrative. We just take that beautiful cosmic eraser and erase all the content of our mind all the narrative of yesterday, or the narrative of the future that we're concerned about, and we enter fully present in this sacred moment, and we smile. I hear, Jesus, this is the moment the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And so what if our challenge, opportunity, and responsibility is to be grateful, to be glad, to have a jubilant, to behold in heart so our hearts can interspirit with other hearts, the heart of the one doing the dance. And we're all doing the dance of life, seeing one another, calling forth within ourselves and within each other, the sacred one. And so we rest in that, that place called home, the vastness of the universe. And we tell ourselves that we have arrived and that we are already always here. And from that consciousness, the light of the one shines and we allow, we trust, we open. We hear the universe calling outside the doors, reminding us that "Hmm, in the finite world, there's a time constraint. In the infinite world, time collapses. And so we get to play with both, the finite and the infinite in a creative way that is loving, playful, curious, uh, and receptive to the many, many gifts of the authentic life. And I signed a wedding um, certificate this morning and I came to the realization I should be signing the wedding certificate where each one of us marries the beloved. What a beautiful way to do that. We're all married to the beloved. And then in our personal relationships, we carry that into it. Ah, How sweet, how uncomplicated, how undemanding to surrender our need to be in control and say, I have myself do nothing. It's this beloved presence within that doeth the work. Then we are riding the wave of the moment, celebrating the exquisite life of the one in a new design for living. It's never been about me. It's always been about the beloved. And so we say, beloved, this life belongs to you. Do with it as you will. May I be your humble servant to serve in whatever way. I offer my gifts to you, whatever they might be, to serve the highest good within and all around. I trust and I know that you are here guiding us every step of the way and that we have each other to walk each other home. So I give thanks for the ancestors that are alive in me and for all the beautiful possibilities and potential that are ignited by your presence within us as the light of the one emerging endlessly anew. And this is the time and we are the ones. With so much gratitude, we release this into the law. We trust. it is. So will somebody go open the door and if you'd all stand, we're going to sing a song and I'm going to invite, (coughs) we are one. Listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org.